Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you again for joining the call. Uh, this is our first of the Solutions 2020 Policy Working Group Series. And this series uh, features policy experts and business leaders that are outlining challenges facing our country and developing policy solutions uh, that we're going to share with our 2020 presidential candidates. We're thrilled today to have uh, former Deputy Secretary of Transportation John D. Porcari, uh, Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley, and former Assistant Secretary of Transportation Carlos Monge with us today. I'm Ed Meyer, and uh, I'll be leading this policy working group effort in partnership with Business Forward, and uh, I'll be moderating this discussion. Currently, all, of, all the lines are in listen-only uh, mode. For those of you that are new to Business Forward programming, uh, Business Forward organizes local roundtables, conference calls, webinars, and media trainings for more than 100,000 business leaders across America, and more than 650 mayors, governors, and members of Congress and senior administration officials have participated in programming, including two presidents, a vice president, and more than half of the men and women that are likely to run for president in 2020. And this is all thanks to support of uh, more than 60 of America's most respected companies. So it's great to be on this call with you all. Our Solutions 2020 working groups will be producing issue briefs on specific issue areas like infrastructure, and that's what this call is about. And these policy recommendations are going to be based on real-world input from local business leaders across the country. We're going to share these recommendations with the presidential candidates and their policy teams, and we're going to be training local business leaders to make the case for reform nationally and in their home communities. Infrastructure is our first group, and we'll also be launching 10 other groups in the coming weeks, so please uh, keep an eye out for those. So moving on to the substance of today's call, I'm honored to introduce our three uh, experts who are going to help lead the discussion. John D. Porcari is the president of U.S. Advisory Services at WSP USA. He directs the firm's strategic consulting services across all markets. And prior to joining WSP in December of 2013, John served as the Deputy Secretary at the United States Department of Transportation under President Obama. And he served in that role, he served as Chief Operating Officer for the Executive uh, Branch with a $77 billion annual budget composed of 10 operating administrations and 55,000 employees worldwide. So thank you, John, for joining us. Mayor uh, Nan Whaley uh, is the mayor of Dayton, Ohio. She was first elected to the Dayton City Commission in 2005, and Nan was the youngest woman ever to be chosen for a commission seat. She was elected as Dayton's mayor in 2013 by a double-digit majority. And in 2017, she was re-elected mayor without opposition, a first in Dayton's history. And Nan is a national leader among her peers. She serves on the Board of Trustees at the U.S. Conference of Mayors as well as the chair, chairing the International Committee for the conference. And this is not on her official bio, but I will say she is one of the true star mayors in our country. And in policy circles, she is known as someone who really knows how to get things done and is just tremendous. So we're, we're grateful to have Nan uh, helping lead this group. And then finally, Carlos Monhe. Carlos is the uh, Twitter's Director of Policy and Philanthropy for the U.S. and Canada. And before joining the company, uh, I'm proud to say that I served with Carlos. He was my colleague on the clinton Kane pre-election transition team, which, of course, never transitioned in the government. But uh, Carlos led our planning efforts on that transition team for a top-to-bottom review of the federal government. And prior to that, he served as acting undersecretary uh, and assistant secretary for transportation policy at the U.S. Department of Transportation. So today we're going to be on this working group call, we're going to be discussing a draft infrastructure issue brief that 
you should have received prior to our call uh, via email. If you did not receive the draft, uh, please email us at infrastructure at businessfwd.org and we'll send it to you. And we're going to walk through uh, some of the pieces in that, in that brief uh, today. And what we're looking to hear is your feedback, your insights, your questions, uh, so that we can improve that brief and make some revisions before sharing the final version with the candidates, uh, the 2020 candidates, and publishing it on the Business Board website. So uh, I'm going to kick it over to, to Mayor Whaley to, to start, a, start out our discussion. Uh, there's two ways that you can participate. Um, Mayor Whaley and John and Carlos are going are to kind of talk through a few pieces first. And then if you, you can either email a question to infrastructure at businessfwd.org, or you can press one on your phone and, uh, and we'll know that you're indicating you're, you have a comment and uh, we'll put you in the queue there and we'll call on you if uh, time permitting, we'll get as many uh, questions and comments in as possible. So with all that, I will kick it over to Mayor Whaley to open us up. Nan, over thanks, to you. Thanks. Thanks, Ed. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on this call and a real honor to be on this working group uh, around infrastructure, which I can say uh, at the U.S. Confer Conference of Mayors is one of our three eyes, along with innovation and inclusion. So I think we're probably one of the few uh, government organizations that talks about infrastructure ad nauseum all the time. And the reason why is because it's just so incredibly important to the future of our cities. Uh, and I'll just give a couple of examples. You know, we in, in – um, in uh, city government, we do a lot around building the future of our communities, um, everything from obviously sewers and, and water systems, but particularly the moving of goods. And, you know, if, for those of you that don't know where Dayton, Ohio is, it's on the western part of Ohio on the I-75 corridor, two hours south, two, about three hours south of Detroit and one hour north of Cincinnati. And what we see um, is, you know, we are the backbone still of goods, goods moving uh, through the country, uh, and we are an incredible creator on that corridor of, um, of, of supplies, particularly to auto and aerospace. Uh, just a few years ago, um, the largest uh, windshield and glass factory in, in, the, in, the, in the country, if not the world, uh, by a, a Chinese manufacturer named Puyao, uh, built here in Dayton. Uh, and those windshields are in all different kinds of cars all across the world. Uh, but they need the infrastructure to be able to move these goods and services. And we sit on I-75 and I-70. And uh, what we see is how important, you know, regardless of how um, citizens move, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but the, the trucking uh, movement and the way that logistics works today with just-in-time, there's not as many warehouses. It's just constantly movement of goods uh, to, get the, to get the product there through our interstate system. Uh, we see uh, the lack of investment in that. Uh, we see states like, like Ohio that recently passed a gas tax to do a, you know, a really – you know, a Band-Aid effect. You see state and local governments making an, an investment in that, but no, nothing federally, which is really strange considering it has such bipartisan support. Uh, and, you know, even local, lo like, uh, local communities like mine passed a, an income tax in 2016 just to pave roads because we know that uh, we're getting no movement um, from the federal government. And we have to have that if we're going to be really serious about infrastructure investment. 
the other thing I want to say along the I-75 corridor is Dayton and Cincinnati, probably by 2030, will be one metro, will be about the 15th or 16th largest metro in the, in the country. And we have lots of people moving um, all the way from Dayton across the bridge, the infamous Brent Spinch Bridge uh, that is, you know, nearly closed down and causing huge, huge uh, economic development consequences for this, this, this greater region. Um, that bridge affects the job creation and the decisions being made on whether people invest in my community and the greater Southwest Ohio region, because it is all connected. Uh, we also recognize we have to have different forms. If we're going to be able to compete internationally, we have to have different forms of way that we, trans, we move around. And particularly between um, Cincinnati and Dayton along the I-75 corridor, it is ripe for a discussion around uh, transit that would be quickly to move between the two cities, which are 50 miles apart, which is very small, uh, a small distance, but takes a very long time because of traffic constraints. Uh, that could be alleviated uh, both for, the, for the, the, um, the trucking industry, but also for folks really working to find good quality paying jobs. So all of this work on infrastructure is connected in such a, an important way for economic development, for job growth, and for the future of Southwest Ohio and, and Western Ohio. And I'm talking about places that, you know, need that investment because if we're trying to keep people and engage people into this region if we don't have the infrastructure to be able to move folks around uh, in the heartland our goods and services will not move and our communities will fail to grow to bring the high quality jobs we need so i'm really excited to be on this uh on this discussion um, uh, from dayton uh from a place that is still making big pieces of your automobiles and your airplanes uh, for the country and the world. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you so much. And uh, again, we're, we're just tremendous that you're uh, serving as a leader of this group, and it's going to be wonderful to hear your perspective on uh, on all these issues. So thanks again. Uh, next, I'm going to kick it over to Carlos, uh, who's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, the current state of America's infrastructure uh, before we go into John for a discussion of a, a case study. So Carlos, over to you. Thank you. And uh, um, I just want to say uh, how grateful I am to be part of this group as well. And uh, my father-in-law lived in Dayton for a long time where he worked at uh, Wright State before he retired. Yay! And of course, John, yeah, uh, and they lived in Beaver Creek for many years. Uh, and uh, John Porcari obviously has been a, a mentor to so many folks, including myself. I'm, I'm grateful for all of his kindness and expertise over the years. Uh, if you do have the uh, slide deck uh, and want to follow along, uh, I'm on slide three. Uh, which is uh, talks about some of the some of the the statistics that we know about, uh, and that uh, many of the business leaders on this call feel every day, uh, which is that it's not in your head. Uh, things are not as good as they as they need to be. Uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers rates uh, overall in infrastructure at D plus, and across the board, uh, whether you're talking about bridges, roads, transit, uh, there are bad grades. Just a couple of uh, statistics to highlight. A third of our nation's roads are in poor or mediocre condition. The maintenance bat backlog on the federal aid highway system is $800 billion. Uh, tens of thousands of bridges are, st are labeled structurally deficient, which means they need substantial work to be up to, up to snuff. Uh, the average age of an American bridge uh, here uh, in the U.S., and, and bridges have a lifespan of about 50 years uh, usually, is about 42 years. Uh, it's going to cost tens of billions of dollars, actually, uh, to get those back up to a state of good repair. 
um, on the rail side, where uh, even even rail gets very high marks uh, because of the private uh, private sector investment in there, uh, substantial uh, challenges uh, just in the northeast northeast corridor, which runs along the east coast, uh, delays uh, every year, uh, cost the economy a half a billion dollars, uh, and uh, drinking water, wastewater. Uh, most water systems around the, the country are more than 50 years old, uh, and we see substantial uh, costs in terms of environmental effects and uh, people's ability to get high-quality water. Uh, if you're going, uh, again, if, if you're following along with the slide deck, slide four, um, uh, there's uh, just a reminder here that we are uh, falling, by, falling behind our, our global competitors, and we're not just competing uh, from state to state, but uh, quite a bit of concern about American leadership, the trade deficit uh, with countries like China uh, and growing economies like India. Uh, China is spending 8.8% of its uh, GDP on infrastructure, and we are way behind at 2.4%. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not because, uh, and, and federal funding is, uh, infrastructure funding is a partnership between federal, state, and local governments, and we saw uh, between 2012 and 2015, 20, 23 different states uh, increased their own funding sources, and when these ballot initiatives come at the, at the state and local level, voters uh, are willing uh, to put local money up against it. In the meantime, the federal government has not uh, done its part. Uh, the federal gas tax has not uh, been raised since 1993, and uh, its buying power is, is getting smaller and smaller over time. And uh, the folks on this call don't need to be reminded that uh, this does represent, uh, this underinvestment does represent a major tax on businesses, large and small, uh, whether you have a global footprint or whether you're trying to sell goods across, uh, across town. And uh, my last slide, slide five, uh, talks about uh, the, the real hidden costs uh, on American businesses, and, and uh, we believe that uh, the deteriorating infrastructure costs the economy $200 billion a year, $90 billion just in lost worker productivity because of congestion. Uh, the average American driver spends uh, an entire work week stuck in traffic uh, every every year, and uh, trucks are losing uh, $28 billion a year in time and fuel, and those costs ripple through the entire supply chain. Uh, and um, and the uh, the emissions the the cost to health uh, because uh, because trucks are idling because cars are stuck uh, this this is actual time that people could be could be uh, could use building their businesses or even spending time with the family it's a tremendous uh, cost uh, that we that we pass on and, and that ripple through the economy and it's my honor to to introduce uh, John Percari who uh, who is uh, um, uh, who has worked on just about every aspect of infrastructure policy uh, and, and implementation uh, at the at the federal, state, and local level. Uh, John and, Carr. And Carlos, sorry, let, let me jump in here real quick just yeah. to remind folks that um, that if if you have uh, some thoughts or comment or feedback on the discussion and on the deck, uh, please uh, either uh, press one on your phone and we'll call on you, or send your thought or comment to infrastructure at uh, businessfwd.org, businessfwd.org, uh, uh, and after John uh, presents his, his piece, we'll open it up for, for folks for your feedback and insights and questions. So um, with that, over to John. Uh, thank you, Ed, and thank you, Carlos, Carlos and Mayor Whaley. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, being part of this effort as well. And when we talk about uh, uh, infrastructure, it means a lot of different things. Uh, uh, but the common element is it's a foundational investment in the future uh, for economic development, for quality of life, for a better future for generations. And when you think about specific examples, it's hard to find one that's a better illustration 
of the underinvestment that we've made as a nation than the Brent Spence Bridge. And uh, as Mayor uh, Whaley mentioned, uh, it's a key part of the I-75 corridor uh, that uh, literally runs from uh, the northern end of the country to the southern end. And the auto and aerospace alley uh, in uh, in the Ohio uh, uh, Western Ohio area uh, is utterly dependent on it. And yet this is a bridge uh, that was state-of-the-art in 1963, uh, just as the Studebaker-Avanti was. Um, and as the as the uh, Studebaker had 1963 safety standards and uh, the bridge has 1963 safety standards and traffic projections. It has no accommodation for the other transportation elements that are so important today, uh, like transit, uh, bicycles, pedestrians. Um, and uh, it is currently, if you uh, look at the next slide, slide seven, it's actually carrying um, over twice the original designed volume. Um, and if you're uh, thinking about it in pure economic development terms, uh, that bridge is carrying 3% of America's gross domestic product over it uh, in goods. Uh, any delay uh, is a direct tax on businesses large and small. And if, if you think about how we replace the Brent Spence Bridge, it's been discussed for years. Um, and in fact, it's uh, very far along in the approval process with, with permits and environmental approvals and um, a lot of design work done, uh, but what we don't have uh, is the federal-state partnership that would actually make it happen. Uh, and I can tell you that from the founding of this republic, uh, there's been a federal role in infrastructure. If you think about uh, the National Ro Road, which went through the Cumberland Gap, connecting the East Coast and opening up the Ohio Valley in 1811, uh, that was a federal investment in infrastructure. If you think about President Lincoln uh, in the midst of the Civil War, having the foresight uh, to uh, 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 make the transcontinental, transcontinental railroads happen uh, through land grants, uh, that was a tremendous federal investment in infrastructure. Uh, and even more so today, uh, the national aviation system we have, uh, could you imagine if that was balkanized uh, by states? Um, so we have this need uh, for um, local projects uh, that also serve regional and national functions. And the Brent Spence Bridge is a great uh, example of it. Um, we have with the uh, current administration, uh, the former um, Special Assistant for Infrastructure for President Trump saying in this specific case that there's no federal role and there shouldn't be a federal role for the replacement of this bridge. The fact is uh, the Brent Spence Bridge, like many other locks and dams and other pieces of infrastructure around the country, uh, uh, cannot be paid for entirely at the local level because they are also regional and national assets. Um, and it's that national role that this bridge plays uh, in carrying 3% of the entire country's GDP uh, that I think is a compelling case for why that federal state partnership needs to be there. Um, we have this great combination of local choices and needs and a national imperative for a better transportation system. Uh, and frankly, I think it's, a, it's a, an excuse for lack of action uh, if we say the federal government doesn't have a role in this and other uh, major projects like it. It's worth pointing out, and it, it shows on slide nine, that these projects get more expensive every day at the same time that our buying power uh, is going down. We haven't raised the federal gas tax since 1993. There's lots of 
different federal revenue options. Uh, and the reality is, as a nation, we can do whatever we put our mind to. And if we believe that investing in the future through infrastructure, making that foundational investment is important, uh, we can do it together. And one of the great things that Business Forward is doing is showing the impact of that lack of investment on businesses large and small, coast to coast, uh, and everywhere in between. Uh, Carlos pointed out that we're far behind our international peers. Um, and uh, if you look at our real competition, which is not one U.S. region against another, um, it's, for example, China. And uh, they have a national policy and, a, and national goals and a combination of local and national funding for their infrastructure priorities. So that's what we need to do. Uh, we, I think we all intrinsically understand that we've underinvested and we've been living off the kind of investments that our parents and grandparents made. It's really time for us to do the same, to pay it forward, to build a stronger foundation for the future for our children and their children uh, in, in future generations. So um, we can and will do better with a more balanced infrastructure uh, a program in the future that, for example, takes into account uh, some of the greening and electrification needs of our system uh, and does it in a more environmentally responsible way, but we need to do it. So thanks, Ed, for uh, an opportunity to talk a little bit about this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, John, Carlos, and Mayor. Appreciate your, uh, your, your uh, insights in this. And uh, again, this, this, um, you know, this briefing, the idea is we are going to be uh, presenting these to the presidential uh, campaign, to the policy shops. I've been in touch with the policy teams for all the, uh, the, the campaigns, and, uh, and we'll be presenting a final version of this after we get your insights and questions and comments. So please um, feel free to uh, press 1 for that, uh, and then following the call also to email us with additional comments and thoughts. Uh, so we're going to start the discussion with, um, with Bruce Rohr from um, Iowa. Bruce is a, uh, actually a, a, was the leader on a uh, on a previous campaign in 2016 for Hillary Clinton on the rural and agriculture uh, group and was a senior advisor on that piece. So Bruce, it's great to have you on the call today and would love to hear your uh, thoughts on this, this uh, infrastructure briefing. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be on here, Ed. Uh, it's it's uh, great to be thinking about these things at a national level instead of just the local farm. And uh, one point that I'd like to emphasize here that John mentioned in passing is that we keep talking about crossing these rivers, but the rivers themselves are a major uh, asset in uh, transportation for agriculture. And the agricultural communities are in desperate need of having the uh, word of legislation actually put into action where we replace the locks and dams on the Mississippi. Because uh, talking about bridges having a life of 50 years, that's what the locks and dams have, and we're sitting closer to 80 years. And we lose a, a, one of those structures, and you're going to massively uh, hurt the ag economy. And so we really need to, it's, it's something that the appropriations have been, what have been lacking. It, it has been uh, promised. It has, uh, it's been a good effort between farmers and environmentalists to promote this. That was the word of bill years ago. And... Uh, it's gone through the environmental studies. It's it's ready to go. The thing it's lacking is funding. And so this is what we need the candidates to do is to make sure that uh, when they're talking about roads and, and bridges, that they 
don't forget the uh, the water that's underneath there. That is a real crucial uh, part of transportation, along with the rail and the runways. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, John, do you want to uh, do you have a one response? Yeah, I'd love to, Bruce. That's an outstanding point. It it really is important. And when you think about America as an agricultural exporting powerhouse. Uh, one of the prime reasons uh, is the transportation network, the inland waterways that we have. And so in the Brent Spence Bridge example, over the Ohio River, if you look down from the bridge, you're seeing some of the barge traffic that's that's moving agriculture exports, among other things, so efficiently. And as you point out, uh, we have a, a, a Water Resources Development Act that should be replacing on a, an accelerated basis our locks and dams. Uh, it simply isn't. Um, and... I recall well uh, taking uh, one of my Chinese counterparts to look at our interior locks and dams along the Mississippi, uh, and while he was very diplomatic about it, uh, he did point out afterwards that the newest dam I was showing him was older than his oldest dam. Um, and that's, uh, it, it's really a reflection of uh, what we're willing to invest in. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, while we think about railways and runways and, and roadways, uh, the waterways uh, are an incredible asset that has been underinvested in as well. Um, and it shows in the long-term loss of some of the competitive advantages that our agricultural economy has. Thanks, Bruce. And th uh, thanks, John. And we, we've got a, uh, a question, a specific question on our Brent Spence uh, Bridge um, uh, case study. It comes from Scott Sigmund from Illinois. And Scott asks, um, why hasn't the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky MPO prioritized the Brent Spence Bridge investment between the two states as the lead for local planning through regional elected officials and professional planners? I don't know, uh, John or, or Nan, if you want to take that one on, love to hear your uh, your response to that. Um, Ed, I'll be happy to start, and, and the mayor uh, may well want to uh, uh, chime sure. in. Um, the 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 Brent Spence Bridge, in fact, has been a priority um, uh, on both sides of the river at varying times, and on the Ohio side of the river, uh, there was a strong commitment uh, at one point to move forward. No agreement was reached between the states, and part of that frankly, is over the funding and, and the likelihood that tolls would be needed as part of the financing for it. So uh, even with uh, uh, federal formula dollars, even with the federal loan program, um, assuming that you can access those, uh, tolls would likely be needed. Um, and that consensus broke down. But um, the, uh, if you look at uh, regional and in fact, national priority lists, uh, including a priority list that had been put together uh, early on in the Trump transition, the Brent Spence Bridge was at the top of the list. So there's no question of the need. Um, the, uh, there's also no question that it has to be a national and state partnership. Uh, yeah, I Thank just, you, John. I echo, yeah, I would just echo what John said. I mean, this again, this issue and answer around creating tolls creates a real problem when we're trying to move goods and services because the toll, the toll discussion stops because, of course, um, most of the movement for transit for people for working are coming into Ohio and the Kentucky folks would be, you know, adversely impacted. And so that's why, of course, Kentucky then isn't interested in their folks being adversely impacted. We also see when we do this, this solve through tolls, we see this like in cities like Austin where, um, you know, has the third worst congestion in the country. They 
can't find the funding because there's no federal partner to build what they need to in a growing city. And um, they create toll roads, which don't get used and still keeps the congestion. So, you know, we have a system in place that needs a federal partner to build the infrastructure we need to move goods and services. And that is not happening when we start having these discussions about tolls and payments. And uh, this is, this is Carlos, if I could just add that, um, that uh, there are so many projects uh, that, that cross state boundaries and cross MPO boundaries and what that, why it is important to have a national view and national funding uh, to kind of, uh, because the, the, the congestion, the freight traffic, the, 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 the job, the, the, the job movements uh, between where people live and where people work uh, very often crosses these lines uh, and, and why you need uh, federal funding to, to, to keep an eye on those regional priorities. Thank you, Mayor, and thank you, Carlos. And I'll also add that Josh Goldman, a former uh, staff economist at the White House Council on Economic Advisors and currently a BCG con consultant, was uh, very helpful in pulling this uh, uh, issue brief together. Um, and so uh, he may also chime in at some point with some thoughts. So just wanted to uh, add that Josh is on the call with us as well. Uh, I'm going to go to um, next to Shaylin Bott uh, and uh, for your thoughts, Shaylin, and let me also just uh, let the group know if you have thoughts on this issue brief or also on other uh, topics that you would like us to cover during the course of this working group, um, uh, please uh, feel free to share those comments with us. You can press one and we'll open up your line uh, moving forward. But next we're going to move to, uh, to Shaylin. Your line is, uh, is open. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, and I just want to say hi to John and Carlos and a lot of the folks I've worked with on the call. Um, and, and what I would just uh, ask is, you know, having run uh, a couple of state DOTs, and it's always a discussion about bridges and roads, and that is critically important. Where, where are we going to be on technology? Uh, obviously, there's a global competition around deployment of 5G, big transportation implications. You know, 20% of 16-year-olds got their driver's license last year. Changes in mobility. The mayor talked about innovation and inclusion along with infrastructure, and I think there's a big technology play there. So I'll, I'll stop there and just get your thoughts on how we want to position the 2020 candidate around this issue. I'll start. I, I'll start. I think that's really an important point and appreciate you bringing it up, uh, particularly because we see, um, I'll just speak in Ohio, we see that 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 uh, infrastructure being really unevenly applied. And so places that have a lot of wealth seem to get it and places that don't, um, don't. And that's affecting um, investment. And I think also foaming some of the, mis you know, the malcontent that's happening in our country. Uh, I'd also like to point out when we're talking about infrastructure, you know, I can, as a mayor that runs a water system that provides water to, you know, nearly half a million people, uh, the, the lack of investment in our water systems uh, and the unfunded mandates that have come from the federal government to communities is making some of our cities across the country um, the cost of water uh, being almost unobtainable. And so there needs to be really good discussion, too, around water infrastructure and what our 2020 candidate um, will do to make sure that um, people have safe and affordable water in this, in this country. Uh, in, in, in Shailen, thanks for the, the question because the, you're pointing out a really important uh, issue that uh, uh, should be identified for candidates, uh, the technology issue. And uh, as a nation, as an administration, we should be leading on that. And whether it's connected and autonomous vehicles, whether it's 
rural broadband and, and making sure that we don't have a digital divide, uh, th those are uh, very important. Um, historically, uh, as a nation, uh, we've, we've led in issues like aerospace. The question is, will we continue to do that in the future if, if we don't invest? It is certainly true uh, in other parts of the transportation system, uh, like vehicles, where uh, the, much of the basic research and development uh, needs to be a partnership with the federal government to make sure that, that standards and safety and, and other uh, um, issues are harmonized. So uh, clearly, it's about today, but it's also about tomorrow. <clears throat> and uh, if I could just add, Shailen, I think we have a lot to learn from ITS America and, uh, and uh, some of the, the attention and, and, and ideas that you are bringing forward about the importance of uh, V2V, V2I technology to improving safety uh, and getting more out of, the, uh, out of the asphalt and cement that we have uh, is critically important. Uh, we have a, a placeholder for that at the end of the deck, but, uh, but I think uh, we can learn a lot from what you're doing at ITS America and uh, what the state of Colorado uh, did uh, while you were uh, head of CEDA. Uh, uh, let me read a, uh, read a question, and then we'll get to a couple more callers here before we, before we close out. Um, uh, this is from Connie. Gunther in uh, California, and she asks, will the U.S. government support the steel industry growth programs as infrastructure projects gain momentum? That, uh, Connie, uh, this is John. That's a great question, uh, and the short answer is yes. So the, the whole point of the Buy America provisions uh, are that the dollars stay in America. So um, whatever part of the infrastructure infrastructure world you're talking about, uh, those products should, to the extent humanly possible, be made in the, in the United States. Um, and uh, any, any erosion of those standards is a slippery slope. So we think for uh, going forward for candidates, it's very important uh, to keep the money local and, and recycle those hard-earned tax dollars into jobs in America in things like steel. Great. Uh, thank you, John. We're going to go to Rich uh, Davey in New York. Um, Rich, uh, we're, uh, we're going to open up your line uh, right now. That's great, Ed. Can you hear me? We can, yes. Thank you, Rich. Great. This may be more of a tactical question for the three folks, John in particular, given your work at Gateway, but it strikes me that um, we should be thinking about talking about Gateway, maybe Cross Bay in San Francisco, these really mega regional projects that are going to require both probably a heightened um, interest from the federal government, not necessarily from a funding perspective, that too, but also probably permitting and, and, and some other coordination uh, that's going to have to happen to get these projects off the ground. I just wonder, have we thought about that? You know, as a carve out or maybe a separate program to, to try to get these things moving um, you know, post-2020. I'd be interested to, to think about that with, with you all um, going forward. Rich, it's, it's a great point because the uh, moving infrastructure forward uh, is usually part of a pretty onerous process at times. There's been a lot of work done to streamline that process. And you mentioned the Gateway uh, Project in New York, which is replacing a single point of failure for 10% of America's GDP in that, in that case. Um, uh, but you need a willing federal partner, and it's not just about money, as you point out. Uh, the the environmental impact statement for the Gateway Tunnel, uh, a process that usually takes uh, four years or longer, was done in 22 months, basically near record time. Uh, but that environmental impact statement has actually sat 
um, yellowing at USDOT for 14 months now. So um, if there's nobody else at the other end of the line, you can't get these projects done. Thanks, John, uh, and, thank, and thank you, Rich. Um, there is, uh, let me ask, um, looks like Lex Heslin has a question for us on waste infrastructure. Uh, so let's get to that, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll probably need to wrap up pretty soon. But let me read this waste infrastructure question. Uh, it says, waste infrastructure is a great example of where China's national policy has pointed out shortcomings in U.S. national policy and goals. A year ago, China stopped accepting plastic waste from the U.S. Uh, waste processing is typically a muni infrastructure issue in the U.S. What federal-level policies or support could be implemented to ensure uh, uh, to ensure we process our waste, uh, and then it kind of cut off there on this question. But uh, I don't know, John or, or Nan, if y'all or Carlos, if you want to take take that question on that, maybe something we want to address in a future briefing as well. Yeah, uh, this is John. It, it's a great point, and I think if you look at uh, the tenets, uh, the principles in the Green New Deal, for example, uh, it does get to uh, a, a more holistic picture of of how national policy. Uh, can drive uh, uh, greenhouse gas reduction, how it can drive recycling, uh, and, and, and other goals. Um, uh, building that national consensus uh, and articulating that national consensus uh, is a, a really important part of uh, what I think a, a, a successful candidate uh, can and should do. Uh, we are uh, a ways away from having uh, a policy on uh, waste disposal um, and solid waste recycling uh, in general um, because we first there, there's 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 uh, other basic issues that we haven't worked through yet, which is a reflection of how far behind we are really. Yeah, yeah I would echo I would echo John's comment. Excellent. And then actually, I, I lied. There's one one more I want to get to because this is something that we had we had sort of talked about. We've talked about a bit. We we didn't address yet in this deck, but I think this will be an issue brief that we'll want to tackle, and that's around uh, rural uh, broadband infrastructure. So Jerry. Uh, a bundle from Michigan asks if uh, will rural broadband be included in infrastructure discussions, and I certainly think that uh, you know could be an important issue in the 2020 presidential election. Uh, you know, as, as part of a broader infrastructure package, because you know six in ten rural Americans believe that that access to broadband is a problem in their area and limits economic growth. So, uh, so you know, I think I can answer that question and say yes, that's a, that's a topic that we will we will want to dive into as part of this uh, working group on infrastructure, uh, but I'll, I'll throw it to John and, um, and uh, Mayor Whaley and Carlos if you want to add anything on that. Yeah, it, 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 rural broadband is is a real issue, and it's, an, it's a, a quality of access issue. And one thing I'd note is uh, some states have built a pretty successful model of taking the desire by broadband uh, providers to get to urban areas and bundling it with rural areas. So in other words, if you want to serve the cities, you have to serve the larger region as well. And we'll give you the right of way in uh, under the roads or sidewalks uh, in the areas that you want to serve in return for uh, extending that fiber to, to uh, rural areas. And uh, while it's not perfect, uh, there ought to be uh, some equalizing mechanism like that, uh, that that some states have done very successfully. Yeah, I would just I, – oh, go ahead, Carlos. Sorry. No, after you, after you Mayor. Well, I just, I just think, you know, sitting in Dayton, Ohio, surrounded by a lot of rural areas, 
in a city that also doesn't receive certain parts of the community doesn't receive as fast of access. It's really about access to internet. I think this is a really growing issue. And, you know, what we see is, is, you know, when things aren't regulated strong enough, um, the places that have wealth get it and the places that don't, don't. And so it's both about the cost of rule, but also insisting that there has to be equal access to making sure people have, you know, fast, internet and that is not happening right now. And I'll just add that um, you know the US is a, is a global leader when it comes to exporting internet services uh, but we're 16th in the world uh, when it comes to broadband access and when you think about how many uh, voters out there feel left out of the economy uh, and that broadband access really is a cost of entry to, to entering the 21st uh, uh, economy, 21st century economy. You, you can't imagine this not being part of the mix of, uh, wh of whoever the, the Democratic candidate is going to be. Amen. Uh, well, thank you all. This, is, this has been a wonderful call, a great kickoff to our uh, Solutions 2020 Working Group Series. Uh, we, uh, the infrastructure group, will be um, convening uh, on a you know on a regular basis here we look out for the next invitation uh, for the next call um, we ask you to, uh, we're going to send out a uh, follow-up sort of survey early next week which will ask for your comments and suggestions on uh, on thoughts specifically on this issue brief that we have circulated again if you did not get the issue brief please email us at infrastructure at businessfwd.org and we'll make sure you have a draft version of it to offer your comments your quotes your case studies uh, and we may include that as part of the, the brief. So please know that if you send us something, uh, it, you know, we may include it in the brief that will be sent to the campaigns and be published uh, on the website. Uh, and also please uh, provide your suggestions on future issue areas that you would like us to cover and brief the presidential um, campaigns on uh, and moving forward. This is going to be a, a, uh, a great group, and I um, thank you all for your expertise and your time, uh, and we will uh, certainly be in touch. Thanks again to, to the mayor and to, uh, to John and to Carlos for your uh, leadership of this group. Hope you all have a wonderful, uh, wonderful weekend, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you in a few weeks down the road. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Thanks everybody.